You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Teresa. Praise the Lord. Um, the scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 1, starting from verse 14 to 28. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had come a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother James, John, in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority, he even gives orders to the impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Teresa. And good morning, everybody. If I've not met you before, my name's Rachel, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastoral members of staff here at Hull Vineyard. So good to see so many of you here today. So last week, if you weren't here, we began our new sermon series, Jesus and Mission, looking at Jesus' heart, practice, and perspective on all things mission and evangelism. We sense that God is inviting us as a church to create a culture of mission in the church where we see people regularly come into faith. And this, of course, is our overarching vision, creating rooms to call people home. We've talked a lot about home this morning already, haven't we? We also want to help people to follow Jesus in modern culture by encouraging each of us in pursuing the presence of God and being with Jesus practicing counterformation by becoming like Jesus, and living on daily mission by doing what Jesus did. 
Now, Joni did a fantastic talk last week to begin the series, speaking on the theme of the table, looking at what it means for us to make room at our tables, or whatever gathering to eat looks like to us where we live, to invite those who don't yet know Jesus, find home in him and in our church family. So do catch up on the podcast if you missed it. This week, we're looking at Jesus and mission through the lens of his teaching on the kingdom and how we can be actively involved in seeing God's kingdom come on earth right here, right now, as it is in heaven. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, the kingdom. As Christians, many of us are familiar with Jesus' command in Matthew 6.33 to seek first his kingdom. However, if we don't have a clear idea of what the kingdom is, how will we seek it first? How will we know what we're living for? The kingdom of God is what Jesus spoke most about in his teaching ministry. It was his central message. All of the Jesus stuff, the signs, the wonders, the miracles that we see performed by Jesus and subsequently by his followers throughout the Gospels and the Book of Acts, happened in the light of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Just as signs, wonders, and miracles we're still experiencing today all happen when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. It's the first thing that Jesus teaches us to ask for before anything else when we pray. In his teaching on what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not taught to ask for provision for our needs or for forgiveness first. That comes later. After acknowledging who God is, our loving Father, our holy God, we act to ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the kingdom of God is an enormous topic, much bigger than I'm able to cover in this short time, but I'd love today to help provide some basic answers and understanding to the following big questions. What is the kingdom of God? When is the kingdom of God? And in the light of all of this, what does this mean for us today, particularly looking through the lens of mission? So firstly, what is the kingdom of God? A kingdom is a realm over which a king exercises authority. The kingdom of God is where God, who is sovereign and rules over all, gets what he wants done. The opening verses of today's reading from the book of Mark that Teresa's just read so well are the first spoken words that Jesus, that Mark records of Jesus. So we know they're very significant. In the verses immediately before, Mark tells his readers about John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus and his subsequent temptation by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness. And so Jesus' announcement actually summarizes in a few words his whole preaching ministry. Let's have a look again at it. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's worth knowing that these would have been what we call today trigger words at the time of Jesus. So when he announces the kingdom of God has come near, 
or as other translations of the same verse say, the kingdom of God is at hand. These aren't words that would have been met with indifference, but they were theologically and emotionally loaded phrases for the Jewish people. You see, the Jews had long been awaiting a Messiah from the line of King David, as prophesied about many times in the Old Testament. The word Messiah means anointed one, the king. But Jesus of Nazareth looked nothing like the king they expected. The Jewish people who for centuries had been under the tyrannic rule of various oppressors, and during the time of Jesus it was the Romans, were waiting for a Messiah who would free them from their oppression. They were looking for a powerful military leader like King David. They believed, just as David had been a worshipping warrior who loved the presence of God, but could lead the people in war, that the Messiah would be in his line, that he would come like David and defeat all their enemies. They had read the Old Testament prophecies that promised God would send a deliverer to save his people. But unfortunately, they had totally misunderstood what this Messiah would look like or do. They read the prophecies of how Messiah would overcome God's enemies, and they understood this to mean that he would deliver them from their Roman masters. They expected him to set up a kingdom on earth, a kingdom in which they would be the rulers, not the ruled. So that's what the Jews were expecting, and to some extent are still expecting today. They overlooked the Messiah's spiritual role as a deliverer from sin and Satan. They didn't understand that his kingdom was spiritual, not political. Jesus didn't fit their ideas of what Messiah would look like or do. So when Jesus announces in this moment that the kingdom of God is at hand, that he is here, they would have been gobsmacked. Jesus had a very different understanding of the kingdom of God. Throughout his public ministry, he spends much of his time speaking about it, often through parables, as well as demonstrating it in actions through signs, wonders, and miracles that we know about so well. It's important to know the role Jesus plays and that we play in the kingdom of God moving through the world. So I'm going to briefly talk through the basics of our theology on this. And to do this, we need to go right back to the start, to creation. There's a pastor, a well-known American pastor called John Tyson, who did a fantastic job of this summarizing of the kingdom recently. So I've used some of what he said. God created the heavens and the earth, and he put Adam and Eve on the earth created in his image to represent him. The Bible says that God gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the living things on the land. And so the intention was that Adam and Eve fulfilled the command to be fruitful and increasing number by reproducing humans, that they would too represent God in the world with the job as his image bearers, to take the raw chaos of creation and to do something with it in a way that culture would emerge that reflects the goodness and the heart of God. The world would be a place where God's will is done and human beings will flourish. However, most of us will know it doesn't stay like that. Satan comes along, and the Bible tells us that Satan is a created being. He was an angel that got prideful and wanted the attention. He wanted his own kingdom, not God's kingdom. He was cast out of heaven. 
So when he sees there's another place, planet Earth, where Adam and Eve have been given dominion, he's like, let me get control of that kingdom. Let me get control of them. When he tempts Adam and Eve, his temptation isn't to get them to eat some magical fruit because it's going to do something like the Disney spells you might watch with your kids and wreck things. What he is literally after is the authority and right to create the culture of the world. He's looking for a place where he can exert his rule and reign in the human system. And so Adam and Eve, who have been given authority by God, lose their authority when they choose to do the one thing God asked them not to do. And now the evil one, Satan, has it instead. And guys, we continue to see these forces at work today, don't we? Human beings still have the ability to create culture, We still have the ability to rule and reign in creation, but we do it in a broken way, serving everything other than God often. And the kingdoms and systems we create often lead to heartbreak, pain, and disorder. The systems of this world, which human culture accelerates, have become systems riddled with sin, with brokenness, and rebellion against God. 1 John 5 verse 19 describes it this way. We know we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now Jesus refers to the devil as the prince of this world. But there is good news. He has come to drive him out. This is what Jesus is announcing in this passage. Let's look again at verses 21 to 28 again, where we see Jesus literally driving out an impure spirit. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth?' Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. It's interesting to note here that whilst the Jews had trouble recognizing who Jesus was, the impure spirit knew exactly who he was. And the people began to see Jesus as someone with ultimate authority. One of the less known titles given to Jesus in the Bible is the second Adam. Now, we don't often talk and sing about this, do we? There are lots of songs we sing about Jesus. We sang this morning, Son of God, King of Kings, Saviour, Lord, Friend. But we don't really have songs called Jesus, You're My Second Adam. It's not a title we've heard yet. However, knowing Jesus is our second Adam is important to our understanding of the kingdom of God because it shows us that Jesus didn't come to get God's authority back. That's never been in question. Jesus came to get our authority back. Jesus was the second Adam who became a human being, took on our nature, lived a perfect life. He's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but refuses to give in as the first Adam did, but lives a life of perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus goes to the cross, 
takes all of our sin upon himself. He's punished for our sin, and then his perfect life, his righteousness, is given to us as a gift so we can walk in freedom as though we'd never sinned with the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Worth a hallelujah, that, isn't it? We're also given delegated authority from Jesus, who is the head of the church, the body of the Christ, body of Christ in the world, to go back into the world, drive out the evil one and his stubborn rebellion against God, and implement new systems and cultures that reflect God's original intent for his glory and for human flourishing. That is our mission, church. This is the reason we're building our Hope Center. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying that it's our job now, as his disciples, as the church to be people who embody and bring into reality the will of the king on earth. We've once again been given dominion to rule, but we do it now with suffering love as the body of Christ in the world. Quoting John Tyson, he summarizes the answer to the question, what is the kingdom of God like this? And the quote should come up on the screen. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the rule and reign of God that is established through Christ and delegated to us. Now we as kingdom agents are serving and honoring him, pushing out the works of the evil one and bringing God's effective rule to bear on human culture. That's the kingdom in a nutshell. So when is the kingdom of God? The short answer to this is that it is both now and not yet, which I'll try to unpack a bit here. In Mark 1, verses 14 to 15, Jesus, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus' announcement immediately follows his baptism and 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. It also, we're told, follows John the Baptist's arrest and imprisonment. After John's arrest, Jesus returns to Galilee amid a gathering storm over his imprisonment. And it's important to know because Jesus' message builds on that of John the Baptist, however, they're not the same. John was preaching about a time to come. Jesus was preaching, the time has now come. John preached a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Jesus preached that the kingdom itself was at hand, so believe the gospel. John didn't preach the gospel, he preached that the gospel bearer was coming. So with the end of John's ministry comes the end of one stage of history. Now Jesus and his gospel come to center stage. It says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. 
A better translation or understanding of the phrase, everyone is forcing their way into it, many Bible scholars agree, is everyone is forcefully urged into it. And this echoes the same sense of urgency that we hear in Jesus' message in Mark. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is what the Greeks call a kairos moment. It's the right time, an opportune moment to be responded to quickly and decisively. Jesus announces the time has come. And we continue to see these kairos moments in the rest of the passage today. When Jesus sees Simon and Andrew fishing and calls them to follow him, they don't ask for a week to think about it or ask their opinion of a few friends or their family. Verse 18 tells us, at once they left their nets and followed him. When he later calls James and John, similarly, we're told in verse 20, without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I love the fact that their response to Jesus is so immediate and so decisive that their father and the other fishermen are left in the boat, probably wondering, what on earth has just happened? I wonder today, how quick are we to respond with obedience and urgency to the call of God in our lives? Or have we allowed other things, perhaps competing loyalties, distractions, wealth, the worries of the world, to steal or choke that good seed, the message of the kingdom sown in our lives, to use an analogy from the parable of the sower, one which Jesus used to teach his followers about the kingdom of God. When is the kingdom of God is also a question the disciples were asking. On one of the occasions Jesus appeared to them after his death and resurrection, we're told in Acts 1, 6 to 8. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You see, having spent all of this time with Jesus, the disciples were still paying attention to human timetables, not kingdom ones. And Jesus answers their question, when is the kingdom of God? By giving them their mission, which is now also our mission, to be his witnesses, to be bringers of the good news of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. The cross and the resurrection represented the finished work of Jesus, but marked just the start of our mission as his disciples. At the cross and the resurrection, the verdict and announcement has already been made about the fate of humanity. Satan has been defeated on the cross. Christ has been resurrected. The judgment for our sins has been paid for fully so we can walk in freedom and not worry about what happens when we're dead. Eternal life, kingdom life, begins now. However, it's not fully worked out yet. 
the announcement that Jesus made and that he asks us to bear witness to hasn't made its way all the way to the ends of the earth. In fact, there are many in our city, as you know, who don't know the good news about Jesus and his kingdom, let alone the ends of the earth. John Tyson says this, we live in a time between the first and second coming of Jesus. And we are contending against stubborn resistance and through suffering love to implement the love of God in the world. The kingdom is now. It doesn't start when you're dead. The life that Jesus promised is experientially available to us now. It's available to the people in our city Jesus is calling home now. It's available to us now. Miracles are available now. Healing is available now. The spirit that's being given and poured out on the church is available now. However, it is also not yet. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is near, but it won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. I love the glimpse that the Apostle John gives us in Revelation of what the kingdom of God looks like in its fullness. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So what does this mean for us today? This means that we show up knowing that the Holy Spirit is in the room among the people of God, but we don't tell him what to do and we're not so arrogant to assume that we understand the will of God in every situation. This means that we have a message to share and a ministry to do. We have the words of Jesus, but we also have the works of Jesus to live out as well. And it's one of the keys to discipleship, understanding God's timetable, or rather understanding that we may never understand God's timetable not this side of eternity anyway. He is Lord of all, we are not. As a church, we have seen God's kingdom breaking in in miraculous ways. We try and share those stories as often as we can, but we also recognize that we're alive in this time between when the kingdom is both now and not yet. It's here and it's coming. It's available now and yet it's still to be. There will be suffering, persecution, and pain until Jesus returns. The Bible is really clear on that. The enemy, although defeated, is still in the world. The Bible tells us that he's full of wrath because he knows that his time is short. However, we have been given authority by the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, King Jesus, to do what Jesus did. John 14, verse 12 says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. When Jesus went back to the Father in heaven, he sent the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead upon the church, upon you and I, to do greater things. I find that an incredible thought. We carry the same message 
the same authority, the same power as Jesus, who said to his disciples as he sent them out, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near, that, that come near again. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. This is our mission on earth. And we will face massive spiritual resistance to the advance of the kingdom of God, just as Jesus and the early Christians did. There was, and will always be until Jesus returns, a huge conflict between kingdoms. But the good news is that Jesus has already won, and Satan is fighting a battle he knows he's lost. The war now is a spiritual one for the allegiance of the human heart. Who will you follow? Who will you obey? If the answer is Jesus, then this means we need to align our lives with his will. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to seek first his kingdom. So a question we all need to ask ourselves today is, what am I seeking first? Are my time, attention, my energy, my decisions, my desires aligned to the will of God for my life? If not, I encourage you to exchange whatever you've been running after for Jesus. He is so worthy and so worth it. Place your whole life under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, our King. Surrender to him and do it decisively and without delay. What are we waiting for? A better moment when life feels more together and we don't have as many worries? When we finished our exams, got our degree, got settled into a job, found a life partner, got a house? I'm sure you can fill in the blanks for your situation. Just know that Jesus invites you as you are today, right in the middle of whatever you're doing, just like the disciples in this passage today. He says Matthew, in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What else are we going to do? It's no fun being a lukewarm Christian or to live with a compromised conscience, knowing that our lives aren't aligned fully with the will of Jesus. He created you and knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you so much. He gave everything for you. He has a wonderful plan and purpose for every person in this room's life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. I was talking to my husband Andy yesterday and he'd just been listening to a recording from a dear pastor, a leader of leaders who some of you might remember. He's now with the Lord. He's called Alex Buchanan. And he said in this recording, when he was asked what he would like spoken at his memorial service, he said, I would like to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And for heaven's sake, get on with it. We end where we started with the announcement and invitation of Jesus in Mark 1. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect and stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church 
go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.